Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast channel that puts members on mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Featured in this session, Can Office Design Improve Productivity? Is Kelly Bacon, America's Practice Lead Strategy for AECOM? And Kevin Kelly, Senior Architect in the Total Workplace Program at the GSA. Defining productivity. So I'm going to first start talk about defining productivity in the federal government because uh, it's a little bit of a different animal. Productivity for us is getting the mission done. It's mission assurance so that we enforce the laws of the land. And GSA's mission can be summarized as being uh, to make sure that we do that mission assurance uh, in a way that is to the advantage of the taxpayer and that it support, fully supports the efficiency and effectiveness of the federal worker. Kelly, uh, being from the um, private sector, will give a much more uh, detailed um, definition um, than I did. Um, and here's Kelly talking about productivity. Great, thank you. So um, as mentioned, I've been I'm coming up on 20 years in this industry and um, probably about seven or eight years of Cornet summits and work tech and other conferences. And, and um, one of the things that I found interesting over the past few days is that the dialogue around productivity in the workplace, there used to be terminology of, you know, it's the holy grail and it's not definable and, you know, it's, it's not possible. It's more subjective. And one of the things that I find is really interesting is that that seems to have evolved. I haven't heard as much of that um, in the past few days. And even just within the agenda, there's um, something like six or seven different presentations around productivity, um, you know, eight or nine around well-being, and then a slew that I, I can't even count around big data. So we see the, the intersection of them have allowed us to get to a point where um, we can measure productivity. And, you know, obviously Kevin and I fall in the camp that it is measurable. And um, one of the things that I, that I believe is that you can measure anything you can define and you can improve anything you can measure. So that's our starting point is that one of the challenges, though, is that there's no universal definition of what productivity is. It means different things to different organizations. Um, but once you have that starting point of the definition, then you can absolutely uh, measure it and then uh, influence it. And the, some of the studies I'm going to share with you later show exactly uh, examples of that. But first, the research. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the research that GSA has done with regard to um, engaging people um, and how that affects um, productivity. Um, I'm going to use an example. Most of my talk will be an example from a um, PhD in uh, the University of Exeter that I was turned on to by uh, Judy Heerwagen, who also works at GSA. And it's, it is about measuring productivity, and it's a very elegant uh, experiment. I think you're going to, I found it very, very interesting. But first of all, let me talk a, a little bit about um, uh, what we've found in our engagements at GSA. We believe that involving the staff at the very beginning, from being at the ground up, actually will make people more um, uh, accepting of the situation. And this is a very small uh, group, I realize. Um, but it shows clearly, and, and I think most of us, our experience will bear out 
that when you have people who have been involved who participated, and that's the orange, uh, who did participate in, in an engagement, they, um, uh, pardon me, I'm sorry, the participated is the blue. Um, they are much more satisfied with the outcome than people who did not have the engagement, who had the solution imposed on them. Um, so if we're going to, if we're going to um, make sure that our workers are engaged in the mission and can, and can do it well, then we found with our interaction with the uh, Center for the Built Environment at UC Berkeley that this is sort of the way uh, the um, disenchantment with the open office is. 71% uh, noise. Uh, which is why GSA put together, I think, a really excellent document, um, the uh, GSA Sound Matters. And um, if you all go on the web, you can find it. Uh, if you don't want to read the whole thing, it's only 45 pages. Uh, but uh, page 11 will tell you exactly what to do. And I know uh, everybody always likes to know exactly what to do. Uh, we, are, we have done preliminary studies um, with experts for HVAC matters to address air quality, and uh, Kelly and um, I are working on lighting matters, uh, which is going to be uh, dealing with, obviously, lighting. But, you know, it's interesting. We think that if people knew what uh, the improvements they could get from lighting, uh, there, there would be more than 9% would object to the way lighting is now. So we're very excited to follow Sam with lighting matters. So first of all, I think probably many of you know that workplace costs, uh, it's mostly people that are kind of, they're, 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 it's sort of the iceberg, below the iceberg. 82% um, of costs of an organization are people um, over the long term. 0.5% uh, is design. I always like to point this out. Uh, you know, when I first started in GSA, I was amazed that people would get very um, enthused that they had cut out, um, they had cut down the design fees. Well, that cutting down the design fee can actually be the stupidest thing you can do. The reason why, the, the reason why it's so stupid is yes, it's visible. You see it. It's like you get a bill for the design fee. You get a bill for the construction. Let's cut back on that. But cutting back on that means that you're cutting back on, you cut back on the design. And the design, when it comes to workplace, in many ways totters on the um, workplace design strategy. So you've got to do the strategy before you get to the design. And I just put a 0.15% of the design fee. Uh, you know, it's nothing. It's nothing, particularly when you consider the life cycle cost of the design. You know, this is the way people really are using the workspace. If you don't do workplace strategy so that you understand that, then, um, you know, all of this is for naught. And the 82% is sort of um, sinks beneath the waves, if you will. Um, okay, so here I'm going to get into the, the Dr. Uh, Knight um, uh, example, but I'm going to start with what I call dumb space. 
And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a government uh, workplace, and I will have um, uh, done um, a, a, um, a photoshopping of what, the, what Dr. Knight is talking about. So if you start with dumbs, well, that's what I call uh, the uh, pyramid of, of workplace, of productivity needs, based on that sort of Maslow thing. Um, uh, dumb space. So let's just do talk about. So I've already told you about Dr. Uh, Knight and what he did. And there were 300 people in the UK uh, that were doing clerical work. You know, oftentimes we we um, um, we uh, don't take into account that a lot of workers are doing very sort of boring uh, clerical type of work, especially in the government. Um, uh, but it's true, um, and it's necessary. But um, so this this is how they did the the um, the experimentation. So here's what I call dumb space. There's no light. There's no view. The lighting's awful. The acoustics is terrible because you can't see over the partition. Uh, what the reason that's dumb is because, uh, and this will all be on the um, will be on the site. But you know. Those with windows slept 46 minutes longer because they could go to sleep sooner because their circadian rhythms had kicked in. 200% uh, decrease in turnover offices with daylight. I mean, it's just it's just so obvious. So even if you've got that awful basement sp space, and you know we have a lot of this in the government. We have people doing uh, uh, top secret type space, and they are in in basements. But you know, can you? Can you make it a little bit more human? Research shows that putting scenes of the outside using outdoor colors, et cetera, actually improves that. So here's what, what uh, Dr. McKnight actually did. He's basically saying that comfort goes to organizational identity, physical well-being, job satisfaction, and finally, productivity. But let's see if this, uh, yeah. So you're starting with that. But if, they, if the workers lack design input, autonomy, and they're in a poor physical environment, all of that good stuff goes away. So they did a task, uh, and it took 40 minutes, and there were 24 uh, errors in that space, that kind of space. In an enriched environment, they told them, okay, now we're going to get an interior decorator in here, and they're going to make it prettier. So, you know, they got the interior decorator, put a picture there, et cetera. And actually, things did go up. And, and the, the, this is lighter gray because it wasn't so bad anymore. Um, so look at that. Between, well, I'll show you what the empowered is. But this is between the enriched and the empowered. And the empowered, 15% improvement by just, just improving the environment. And um, you know that's like a no-brainer, but what, what's really shocking is that if you allow people to be involved in the choice of the pictures, of the of the um, of the plants, small things. Well, I'm not saying that they need to design the space, but if they do that, there was a 32 percent uh, improvement in productivity. It took 28 minutes instead of 40. And there were 17 errors instead of 24. Okay, so then they took all that away. They said, "Oh no, no, 
that's tasteless. You've got to go back to the way it was before. Well, you can imagine how the productivity plummeted. Uh, at least 32%, okay? So what does all of this mean? Uh, you can't read that, so I'll sort of summarize it for you. The deal is, uh, it's not so much allowing people to pick out pictures and uh, plants as it is allowing people to have some autonomy over their space and to d redefine the uh, relationship between management and the worker. That's what elevates uh, productivity so much. And I'll just wrap up with this very short little story um, about I recently went to Canada to see polar bears. Uh, don't ask me. Um, uh, but, you know, we drove around the town, and it was bleak. The only reason you would go to Churchill, Manitoba, is to see polar bears, certainly not to look at architecture. So this was the kind of view. And, you know, it reminded me of another view um, that, that I was very familiar with. Um, very depressing. And so as we drove around, uh, we, I saw this barn. And I made the guy stop. I said, I have to take a picture of that because it applies to this talk. And it said, no, I'm here. And that was so, to me, that was so moving in the middle of this bleak, bleak landscape that the individual, no, I'm here. And that's what we want in the workplace. And I am convinced, and there is good evidence, that that will actually improve productivity. And now I'm over time. And you will now hear the real, the real stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> Thank you. So I don't have stories about polar bears, um, but I do have some stories of various studies that we've done across various industries with, with many of our clients. So a lot of them are also rooted in the academia of the study of the of the McKnight study um, and how we framed it. So. Uh, you know, I mentioned that, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about well-being and performance, um, productivity, as well as big data. Um, you know, I'm not going to read all this. We have ACOM has invested heavily in all the various components um, and, you know, and, and dissecting it so that you can evaluate and measure it. In terms of performance and productivity, we're lumping those into both the mental and emotional as well as the intellectual performance. So um, that's the framework, really, that we're, that we're using. Uh, and I mentioned earlier, one of the challenges that we've always heard about really measuring productivity is that our industry uh, is challenged and various organizations are challenged with um, uh, differentiating or sussing out the subjective from the objective. And from the top there, you can see satisfaction, engagement. Uh, in fact, uh, engagement has been more of a focus as of late than satisfaction. A lot of organizations see this as an indicator for um, overall well-being and performance in the workplace. You know, experience, which is your physical, ex your experience of the physical workplace, um, and then how that relates to performance. Any, any of you all, many have the very similar methodology in their workplace surveys, um, you know, dissecting various workplace criteria, how well is it performing versus um, how important it is to your critical job functions, and then we, we focus on the gaps. Now, all of that's kind of standard fare, and it's really, uh, it's important. It helps inform our designs. But when you're getting into the objective components, um, you know, task efficiency, uh, industries like ours, law firms, uh, advertising, you know, in, in industries where time is literally money, um, you know, how much time it takes you to do task A, task B, task C is, is an indicator uh, of productivity. 
Um, cognitive performance is an area that, we're, or that I'm really going to talk about, um, and, and uh, that we have some studies there. And then there's the physiological. Now, of course, that's challenging. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff happening with wearables. Um, you know, we already have challenges with privacy concerns within, um, you know, with sensors and things like that. So, you know, those get a little evasive. But there's a lot of cool stuff with the opt-in method. People are choosing um, to really want to track themselves within the physical environment. You know, people want to know what makes them better, smarter. Uh, and so there's a lot happening in that space there. So if you're focusing on task efficiency, so um, this is a, a client that chose to remain nameless. Uh, it is a Fortune 100 organization. And one of the ways, as it relates to task efficiency, um, is that we did social media mapping. So you know, there's, of course, the self-reporting, which is the aspect of you know, how long do you think it takes you to do something. And then we do the pre and post occupancy. In this case, we partnered with their IT team. Um, and if you look there on the left, you know, the majority of the communications, the colors indicate um, various departmental. Uh, communication. And so the, you know, and the lines are the, the uh, communication amongst the different departments. And so we did this mapping pre and post. And so if you look there to the right, you know, that is showing uh, the diversity or the connections, the cohesion, if you will, across various departments. So pre and post, you know, moving into what, the, what they uh, uh, term their activity-based environment, we've been able to replicate this. So this is um, from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Um, we've replicated it with very similar results in Manila. And now there's two different locations in the states where we're seeing very similar results. Um, and so just this one here, this, uh, that, you know, this one I think is really important in terms of how many steps does it take to connect. Um, pre, it was the average is three steps. So think about, you know, you have an IT issue. You're logging an IT, you know, it takes you three different emails or three different touch points to get to your resolution. Bringing that down to two is really significant. That can result, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes. And if you replicate that throughout the day, that's, that's pretty significant. So that's one of the ways that we're looking at it. Now here's another one that um, is uh, a little bit more challenging to kind of describe, and so we're really just summarizing it. So again, looking at the subjective and the objective, you know, so um, this we've published for National Grid, um, and we're currently undergoing it with two other organizations that have chosen to remain anonymous as well, with very similar results. So you know, you have the subjective performance questionnaire, but then we did the objective performance. Now we approach this the way that you would, you would approach a lot of other um, uh, various studies where we had our control group and our test group, and we did actual tests in terms of you know creativity, you know ideation, how many ideas in a certain given uh, period of time, cognitive flexibility, you know how quick can you come to, uh, how quick can you derive answers, how valid are the answers, etc., and then reasoning and logic, how long it takes you to you know logic puzzles, um, and so. You know, the summary of this is that after, you know, we did this pre and post, and we did it over the course of a year um, in all different phases of the project, and what we saw was an 8% increase in cognitive functioning uh, in the new space versus the old space. So that's a really significant result, and we do have that published if you wanted to see the, the more detailed um, analytical components. So now, with my remaining two minutes, I'm going to talk about regression analysis, which is super fun. I know it's exactly what you guys all came here to hear about. Um, but it started with a partnership uh, out of the UK with the University of Surrey. Um, we are in phase two right now, and um, we had the electricity supply board in the UK, and we're also currently undergoing it with two other organizations who, again, have chosen to remain nameless until the results are in. Um, but you can see it's a pretty large sample size. And the whole point of just sharing reg regression analysis is it's basically the relationship between the dependent variable um, and the independent variable. So it's the predictor. And, and it's not causation. So I just want to share that it's a correlation, a predictor, not causation. So um, 
lot happening here, but what I wanted to share is that we used, you know, there's the objective and the subjective again. We use the well-building well standards in terms of the physical uh, criteria that we assessed. Um, the health and safety executive, with it, which is in, within the UK, so there's six different factors for facilities, six different factors for collaboration, eight different factors for the physical environment. Um, and then we use that to, in terms of the, you know, how people perceive it, and then the outcomes are our six uh, well-being factors, yeah? So um, we went back and forth with whether or not we actually show the B-scores, but for any data nerds out there who understand, we wanted like statistical validity. We wanted to show the rigor and the actual testing. So we kept those in there. But really what to, to understand is that within the social sciences, anywhere from a 30 to 40% uh, correlation is is a really positive and it shows a strong predictor right so in this case there's a whole slew of stuff that's not has that doesn't have anything to do with the physical space um, that actually um, contributes to social well-being again this this is published as well that we can share with you the details um, you know the stimulating environment and, and the variety of meeting rooms has only a, a 7% um, correlation or, or response and that's pretty significant but here's the big one right is that a 30 uh, almost a 37 um, score is is shows a very strong predictor of these various uh, criteria within the physical environment comfort virtual collaboration openness variety of spaces and visitor experience which is broken down to a couple different things so um, Really, I mean, that's kind of, that's, you know, a very high-level snapshot of, so, of three very comprehensive studies that we've done. And really where we see the industry going is what we already shared was a regression analysis. And as we replicate those studies and validate the methodology, um, we're going to be introducing into our Building Pulse app one that um, is, you know, all that math and all that statistical evidence is going into this app that's available to you all. Um, and, and you can use it as a tool um, to do experience sampling and, and, and gauge the exact same results pre and post um, your workplace uh, projects. We have, oh, shoot. So I think we have less than 30 seconds left, so I suppose no questions. Um, but if you had questions, I don't know if there's one right after. We can maybe take one. No? Okay, well with that, we'll say thank you. This concludes the Cornet Global Podcast on Can Office Design Improve Productivity? Want to record a What's Next podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.